Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Love of Life podcast. Tonight, we're talking to a fellow podcaster and musician. It's Tim Bushong. He's coming up next. Christian education. Because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Is the love of life. This is the Love of Life podcast. Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. All right, and we're back. We have Tim Bushong with us. He's the host of Eschatology Matters. Tim, it's great to have you on the show. Now, we've never met before, but I know there's a lot of crossover between us. We're Mm -hmm. definitely drawing water from the same proverbial well, so it's great to finally talk to you tonight on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. I am glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about your podcast and why does eschatology matter? (laughs) Good question. Um, I'm actually just one of the uh, contributors to Eschatology Matters. It started with basically my series called Victory in Jesus, Summer of 21. One of my old studio clients who is now a believer, married and embracing all the crazy reform stuff is like, hey, there's a local guy who's not a dispensational premillennialist. You should listen to this. And he got him all jazzed up on post-millennialism. Well, maybe not post, but at least thinking in terms of not the usual Northern Indiana eschatological default position. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so then a year after that, he said, hey, he's going to have a, con- a conference. Starts planning, uh, did a great job of promoting, had, uh, I think, over 100 people were there. And it was myself and uh, Josh Howard, Stephen Baker, a couple of other guys. And then that turned into us getting roped into, I mean, uh, being involved (laughs) in the Eschatology Matters YouTube channel. And I'm just I'm just as thrilled as I could be to be a part of it. And I've gotten to know know Josh quite quite uh, a bit because we do a lot of back and forth uh, dialogue. But then some of the interviews I've I've gotten to do with people I I already knew, but it was great to be able to go, okay, let's fold them into because they're they're basically ministers, they've got a public platform, and we can talk about uh why the uh, uh helicopters are the locus of revelation. And that's just been wonderful. <laughs> right. <laughs> how how did you become post millennial? Well, I was walking through my spacious acreage of woods and an angel appeared it was the weirdest thing just like joseph smith it's the uh, no 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 all right it's great talking to you tim have a great yeah, bye <laughs> we'll see you yeah yeah so <laughs> give the uh, post mills a bad rap i know i know well you know everybody likes us so much i thought i'd throw a little shade oh, um yeah yeah they love us <laughs> well uh, honestly uh, a lot of um trial and error as far as examining what my assumptions were. You know, I'm a Van Til guy, Schaefer guy, presuppositionalism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was that was interesting, too. I, I used to be a charismatic. Start examining my charismatic presuppositions. I'm not so sure. And I remember when I was first brought back to the faith, you know, I was raised in church. Um, I, I was born in 60, so I have the whole 60s and 70s uh, middle america bible believing experience godly parents godly grandparents probably prayed me into the kingdom 
<laughs> and I'm super, super thankful for that. Um, however, we were default dispensationalists. We had the seven charts. Um, here's how it works. God's, uh, God's plan got interrupted by us Gentiles. And so he's just kind of waiting for that. And I remember when I was first brought to back to faith, repented. So, okay, I, I give up. I'm not going to be a pagan, you know, and I, I was at a prayer meeting and I, I told this guy, I said, well, you know, I don't even think he believes in the rapture <laughs> as if that was the test of orthodoxy. Of course. <laughs> and the guy was, was much older than me, had graduated from Westminster in Philly. And he turned to me and he said, well, Tim, um, there are many other eschatological positions that are fully orthodox, in fact, have a lot longer history than dispensationalism. I was like, huh, okay, better check it out. <laughs> so I kind of thought I was a optimistic Amil for a while. Uh, you know, one of the things that can that can help a person is actually read the study notes in a Schofield Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, hold on. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I started reading some of the other Dispy uh, authors. And I've got friends, some of my best friends, still there, no problem. However... When it comes to the topic of the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom? Yeah. And what is a generation? And what is the timing of all of this stuff that was being referred to? It just became a, uh, I guess you'd, you'd call it a cognitive dissonance for me to continue to be dispensationalist. So it wasn't a very far cry from Amil, where structurally you're looking at the age we live in now as the thousand years, as you know, communicated in Revelation 20, for that to turn into, and all authority is Jesus's, and he must reign until he makes his enemies a footstool for his feet, and it's all comprehensive. After that, it was like all the pieces fell into place for me, and I'm like, okay, this is what I believe, and it was exegetically derived. Then I started reading some books on the outside and figured, okay, I'm not alone here. There's lots and lots. And what's interesting, too, um, one of the things I, I don't like about certain public ministries is that they, they try to poison the well against the position that they're disagreeing with, and then they kind of move in with the interview. I'm thinking of like Leighton Flowers. He does that a lot. I, I, I don't like it. But my own well was poisoned by a really sharp Missouri Synod Lutheran, uh, John Warwick Montgomery. I don't know if he's even alive anymore, but he basically wrote off all post-millennialism as being a vestige of that liberal late 19th century and two world wars come on let's get real right and so i i was kind of uh prejudiced against post-millennialism mm -hmm. so you know had had some bigger hurdles to cross there but that's that's it in a nutshell yeah so when you did cross over the camp that you were surrounding yourself with friends christian family members did you get ostracized? Was there backlash? Were there people that went, whoa, like, yes, Jesus is Lord, but he's Lord on layaway. He's not really the king of the world. You know, I mean, not that, that's not really what they say, but basically that's what they're saying. Um, so was there sort of some opposition that you felt? Yeah, it's 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 already and not really, um, yeah. <laughs> as, as we say. Yeah. Well, not really. Um, you know, by then, I don't know. I was... I got off the road when I was just almost uh, 39 years old, 1999, last gig, settled down. 
I didn't really want to be a pastor at that point. A lot of reasons for that. And I was, I was just busy as all get out. So when, when I ended up switching, I, I had been ordained. Uh, I got ordained in November of 06. And it was probably maybe in that next year that everything kind of fell into place. So no, the only person I had uh, that conversation with was an older fella. He was a studio client. He's one of these guys that would do these kind of special music programs where they talk in between. And it's, it's definitely a, a boomer thing, but he would have me record custom songs for him. You know, I'd get a phone call and, Hey, yeah, uh, Tim, I'd, I'd like sentimental journey. Um, can you see? Okay. And I'm, okay. No problem. Which arrangement, you know? <laughs> and so this guy had been the president of grace theological seminary, hmm. which is only about a half an hour South of me. Yeah. So, you got to understand that the milieu, the the atmosphere around here is just pure despy. I mean, the Presbyterian churches in that same town were the ones that started the prophecy conferences in this area, wow. kind of related to the Niagara stuff. And the there was a Keswick connection. But anyway, it was all about prophecy and how the end times are unfolding, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it didn't take him long to figure out, you know, some of the phrases I would use, like, you know, well, you know, sometimes uh, uh, Christ makes his enemies into his friends. Sometimes he treats them like his enemies, and he's going to do that until they're all defeated. <laughs> and he didn't quite like that. And he and he, he said, well, that's what you replacement theology, guys. <laughs> I said, you know what? I'm going to stop you right there. Replacement theology is a derogatory term that was invented by the dispensationalists. So no covenant theo theologian calls himself a replacement theologian. Mm -hmm. And he had to grant the point. He said, okay, fair enough. You know, <laughs> other than that, you know, my, my grandmother um, passed away in, in 2000. She was almost 97. Wow. She was convinced she was going to see the return of Christ. Yeah. She was convinced. And there's a lot of people like that. Yep. And, uh, you know, God bless her. She was just a sweet woman. And uh, I guess it probably, you know, her and my folks probably prayed me into the kingdom as much as anyone. Yeah. And she would, you could walk through Ephesians 2, you know, classic text. I mean, not only for us Reformed folks, but also for the necessity of the one man being made out of the two. You could walk through it with her. And she's nodding her head. Oh, yes, honey. Yes, honey. And at the end, but God still has a plan for his earthly people, the Jews. Uh, yeah. Grandma. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm I'm perfectly willing to change my eschatology in the middle of the air. I'm cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> but on this end of things, I'm like, I don't think Grandma's a dispensationalist anymore. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, exactly. Well, it's interesting to me how every generation thinks they're going to see the return of Christ. I'm reading a book right now. It's a historical book, the last two thousand years of Christendom. And really? it seems like every generation really goes through a period of this is happening in the world. It's bad. If it gets much worse, Jesus is going to part the clouds and he's going to return. And people That's have right. been sure over and over and over and over again. And it's like he's making his enemies a footstool underneath his feet. Amen. And yep. the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we have a lot of enemies still right now. I'm, I'm looking around going... Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, God bless Uganda and their university students for 
their uh, their protest today. But here in the states, ugh. yeah, and and that's that's a good point though, Jesse. So they've all been universally and gloriously wrong in their predictions. You don't have to be a Millerite or a Seventh Day Adventist or a Jehovah's Witness or even uh, Edgar Wisenant, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Must Return in 88. You're probably too young to remember that. that I'm dating myself now. I know a lot of the titles. And, of course, I grew up a little bit later with Left Behind, and that was totally in my in our era of time. And yeah. waiting for the next book that LaHaye was going to put out to find out The Mark of the Beast. Yeah. And, you know, we had a lot of fun with that growing up as kids. But look back and you go – really wasn't good eschatology it wasn't good interpretation or exegesis of the scriptures that's that's exactly right and it's also not very good for thinking in terms of generational faithfulness and covenant fruitfulness i mean think about it if if it's all going to go to hell anyway i mean i would have assemblies of god guys come up here and record and they would joke around was all going to burn anyway (laughs) and they'd say oh we're just kidding tim (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I think yeah, you probably a little grain of truth in there somewhere. Yeah. You know, they always forgot to carry the one, though, in, in their predictions. Right. Mm. And then they changed the nature of the debate. Oh, he returned spiritually. That's it. Which, by the way, is one of the major issues with the full preterist uh, direction that some guys have been going. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what, you know, what's oh, the difference you can name names. Me? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Hey, rhyme, rhymes with, uh, no, I'm not going <laughs> to who it is. No, actually, yeah. he's the reason that uh, I even, that we even got in, not to say got into, but discovered the post-mill framework. Yeah. Um, it, you know, uh, DeMar's work was, is, has been great in the past. And specifically, his understanding of eschatology early on and in the last, at some point, little bit of time i don't know when things have changed but you know i mean early on it was such a clear understanding of finally we understand what matthew 24 is saying for instance you know like this now thing the bible has been made far more clear so essentially uh, that's another reason why eschatology matters is a proper understanding of the bible itself right one of one of the things that uh we try to do on the YouTube channel with eschatology matters is so first of all, it's two words, eschatology, last things or the breaking in of the kingdom. So that's, again, we're talking about an eschatology that takes Genesis through revelation into account. And just like it, it's a parallel to the old discussion about the extent of the tone of the atonement, you know, they like to talk about, well, all, all died for all died for all without first examining okay what was god's purpose what did he what was the intention of the of the atonement yeah you have to do that first well it's kind of similar uh to uh, eschatology you have to think about what was god's intention in creation in the first place and what are his uh marching orders to his people because you know again if you've watched any of the channel you know where i go with this Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew 28 is a recapitulation of Genesis 3, the, or Genesis 2, the de- 1 and 2, yeah. Dominion Mandate, right? It is late and I'm old, but hey, good. No, no one cares. <laughs> and and so taking, taking all scripture in, into account, I think you get the big, and, and this came out in, in my interview with James White, it hasn't, hasn't dropped yet, but we were talking about this, how, you know, both of us 
grew up in the similar uh, theological tradition, uh, very close in age, both both late boomers, you know. And there were certain passages of the Bible that just de facto put over top of the rest of the Bible almost as a grid. Now, don't go, don't read outside that grid. You know, God's <laughs> earthly people, God's heavenly people. Yeah. Uh, the imminent imminent return. Now, come on. Yeah. Rather than those passages that we would say, Psalm 2, kiss mm-hmm. the sun, lest he be ruling with the rod of iron. Psalm 110, boom. All that kind of stuff that you that we now see as, oh, no, that's the intention. That's it. The Messiah asks for the, the world is his, for all of his rule and his kingdom, and God gives it to him. He has all the authority, and he says, go disciple the nations. Not just make disciples to pull out of the nations, but disciple the nations themselves. Yeah. And I'm with you to the end of the age. Which age? Well, the age we're in right now. He's, he's spiritually present. Um, he is ruling at the right hand of the Father. Uh, he's making his enemies a footstool for his feet, one by one, little by little, brick by brick. Sometimes it seems really slow. And we go, oh, come on. Come on can, yeah. we, can we hurry this up? Yeah. And in the middle of it all, the United States of America, as an experiment in constitutional Republican government, was made for a religious people. And we're not a religious people. That's why things are screwed up now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you kind of alluded to this before, but that framework really does change your mindset of future generations. It changes what you think about this world and what you do. How yeah. for you has that understanding affected and impacted your actions, your life, the things that you do and value? You could probably probably categorize this in a couple different ways, whether it's my normal day-to-day existence which of course isn't compartmentalized away from my pastoral ministry or even my vocation with all the guitars and stuff, probably more critically as a pastor of a local church. Um, so again, examples are very helpful. Here, here would be an example. Um, every Lord's Day, we, uh, we raise our hands at the end of the service and we sing the what song is it, you guys? What is it? Glory be to the Father oh, yeah. and to the Son or the doxology. It's all praise to the triune God who's ruling. And I think I think that that angle that postmillennialism provides pastors, especially when when you've labored for a long time. I came to this little church. I'm telling you, I'm I'm a country boy to the core this is not even quite a mile from my house where i've lived since 87 and when i got there there's 11 people the youngest person was 47 and that was the son of some other couple who was there it was all old people no kids except when my son and his wife started attending before they moved to fort wayne they had a little boy that was it and i'm going this is not a recipe for continuing on this local church and the work of God in this area, as far as we're concerned. But by hook or by crook over the last, you know, six years, now we're bursting at the seams. We got so many little ones. And so we're, we're able to look at those families and encourage them 
to keep doing what they're doing. Remember how Paul writes to the Thessalonians in his first letter, I see you're doing this and I'll do it all the more. You know, it's just this constant pat on the back. You go, you go get him, man. Because of the fact that we're confident in Jesus's lordship, we're confident in the power of the spirit of God to do what he only can do in the hearts of those little ones. And remember, we are Baptists. We don't give the sign of the covenant to anyone who hasn't first repented and believed. However, um, the fact that they're growing up in Christian households, that's providential. That's not an accident, right? And so we've got a couple seven-year-olds just got baptized. Uh, I've baptized children as, as young as, as six before, which I know to the Presbyterians, you're like, you're about six years too late. <laughs> you, you are. Know? You what, are. You might what'd get What would you there. wait for? <laughs> here's, here's something, too. So for for our household, you know, my my wife Heidi and I are empty nesters now, and we're grandparents, and we're we're seeing. Praise God! I I could tear up. We're seeing the fruit of all those years of just trying to do your best, trying to be patient. Um, you know, one of my friends one time said, you know, I can think of about 120 reasons why my children shouldn't be godly, and you're. And you're looking at them, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. Right. So it's by God's grace. However, God uses means to his ends. Oh. And the means of grace for children are parents that stay married, parents that take their children to Lord's Day service. Now, I'm saying nothing different than any pre-mill or on-mill guide would, would say. Right. But we're also looking at building for the future so that my grandchildren's grandchildren are able to continue worshiping God, not only in liberty, but to raise their children with a specifically Christian worldview that will help them to navigate whatever waters are coming their way, right? Sure. So as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, post-millennialism has kind of been the Wind beneath my wings. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So for those that are possibly listening, they are they're pre-mill, they're on mill, or maybe they're pan mill. They just, you know, it's all gonna pan out in the end. At one point I was like that. Um, what are, and you've alluded to a few of them, but what are some of the key scriptures or key takeaways? Because one of the things that I hear all the time is oh, chapter and verse. Give me the chapter and chapter verse. And, verse. and yeah. so pr- particularly for the post-mill understanding, we do have quite a few chapters and verses. Yes, we do. So first of all, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. So God is the author of everything that exists. Nothing exists apart from him. It's all being continually uh, held together by the power of his word. That's Hebrews 1-2. And so back to what I said about God's intention, right? It starts off, the God's book starts off with a a kingdom where God puts a vice regent in charge of his kingdom. His name's Adam, first man. And after naming all the animals, which, boy, at that point, I don't know how many different species there were, but that sounds like a pretty laborious task. You know, those names meant something. You know, there wasn't just, well, I'll name this a tiger because it sounds funny. <laughs> no, all the all the names of the animals in, implied ownership by Adam of the animals and and yet it was not good god saw that that was not good of all of his creation 
I'm going to make uh, make a help helper suitable for him. That's what the, we get our help meet help meet for him. It's a woman is not a help meet. That's a, that's a King James weirdness. She's a helper. Yeah. And so we see all that still in play through chapter one, chapter two, then chapter three, the fall occurs. Now, when God told Adam and Eve to take dominion, to be fruitful and multiply, I think the intention there is the same intention that Jesus told his disciples, all authority is mine, go and do this. So the dominion mandate, for for me, that's never been pulled. It's been modified. You know, it used to be that you could just... uh, work and not get oily and sweaty now <laughs> creation itself is opposed to you with thorns and thistles and and right. uh getting thirsty and whatnot and yeah. a woman's uh childbirth the pains increased we know it's the fall we yeah. get it however we're still to take dominion in the name of christ and that means turning this jungle of a world into a garden that is pleasant and pleasing and fruitful and so, obviously, Christian stewardship plays into this. Um, I really like the the work that Cal Beisner is doing with with uh, Christian stewardship of creation. That's excellent. It's not even close to what the environmentalists are all about because they view humans as the as the cancer, right? Right. Of course. Where really the Earth is made for us. Now let's use it wisely. Let's steward it well, but use it right. So I think I think key verses would be it's not really chapter and verse other than the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We know that that's the most uh, often quoted Old Testament verse in the entire New Testament. So there's something going on there. It's that's no accident. And then we get what, what's amazing to me, and I've been uh, working through some of this in the on the channel is that we have the apostolic interpretation of it. I mean, Jesus quotes it, Peter quotes it, Paul quotes it, whoever wrote Hebrews quotes it. I'm, I, I'm convinced that it was this Paul sermon that Luke wrote down, whatever. But it's quoted all the time, and it's interpreted as being a real situation in this age right now. Jesus is reigning. He is ruling. Now, one guy said, no, the rod of iron comes later. I said, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to be picayune on that, on that point. However, his rule isn't compartmentalized like we like. Yeah. Somebody on our Southern Baptist Facebook page, I am in the Southern Baptist Convention, by the way. Ah. Even though we're, our, our church is a 1689 church, but we are a part of an association that's part of the Southern Baptist. Anyway, he was saying, I think we've just we've just lost our our way with the fighting culture wars. We just need to make disciples. And of course, I wasn't the only one, but a lot of people were saying, "Why are you being the the excluded middle here? Either one or the other." And then he kind of backed up. Well, we need to prioritize it. I said, "We we understand that, but as soon as you say, okay, it's either this or this, your 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 priority is a little more here." I'm like. Look, there are vocational policemen who happen to be Christians. There are vocational politicians who happen to be Christians. There are vocational businessmen. Now, they would be time thieves of their boss if they spent all their time doing what pastors are supposed to do and preach the gospel. 
dude, you're supposed to be working. You're supposed <laughs> to be making money for your employer, right? So sometimes I, I think guys get kind of cattywampus on this. And as we've seen with the debate on Christian nationalism, sometimes someone's premillennial um, uh, priority can play into how they're looking at, okay, how do we build for the future? Right. Well, yeah, yeah. I, and that's why eschatology matters, full circle. Yeah. <laughs> that is a full circle, and you're absolutely right. I, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of an oxymoron to say, oh, I believe in Christian nationalism, and I'm a dis- and I'm a strong, you know, believer in dispensational eschatology because you have a losing eschatology. We have to lose down here, according to your interpretation of scripture, or even a, even a great guy that I grew up listening to, like a MacArthur, who said, like a Johnny uh, Mac, exactly. He, 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 he love him. He said it two years ago, and I grew up on on a lot of his sermons. Yeah, yeah. He said it about two years ago that we lose down here, and he called out post mills as they were, as we are. He says completely wrong. It's yeah. like, but then he, of course, fights his state during the COVID era for two, three years, and it's like, oh. but I thought we lose down here, John. Like, Ble- blessed inconsistency. I mean, <laughs> yes, absolutely. That that's why it's it's important that uh, we younger men. Right. Yes. <laughs> we would show respect to a guy like that. I mean, he's he's been through more battles. Yep. You know, there are still there are still fighting fundies out there who accuse him of um, uh, oh, what, what's the what's the phrase in Hebrews 10 trampling under the blood of the covenant oh. because of some stuff he said back in the early 70s about physical blood. Right. About oh. the physical. But it's not necessary. Oh, did you hear him? The blood's not necessary. People are idiots, and yeah, they are. You know, John's a great, a great example of someone who, I think, has studied to show himself approved, as Second Timothy says, rightly dividing. That's to cut straight, orthotomeo, and he's divided it in one way for an awfully long time. Yeah, you know, he he retained his dispensationalism when he embraced the doctrines of grace. Okay. Yeah. And as as we've been saying a number of times too in in other interviews, it's it's ironic that much of the late seventies, early eighties political right was being buoyed along by people who were dispensationalists in their in their eschatology. Right now, maybe we can try to strategize a little more accurately. I don't know, but um, yeah, I don't know how else to interpret we lose down here. If you say that's loser, all of a sudden you're the bad guy. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. How else do we take words of language and sentence structure? I mean, that's what he said. So, yeah. 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 How do you reconcile that with the Great Commission? Like, that is such a hang-up for me. So. Yeah. I. Well, here's the thing. Um, having grown up in an atmosphere that was very dispensationalist and very much it's only going to get worse you know the great commission ends up being basically just a rescue mission just kind of in the in the abstract um i don't want to i don't want to say they're pietists because pietism is a bad thing being pious is good but they're Definitely. You know, I cut my teeth on Schaefer even before I was reformed, before I was post mill. I read everything that I could get my hands on 
because there were some guys that I respected a lot, um, you know, my age, a little older at the time. I said, well, who do you read? And they said Schaefer. So I just you know, drank it in. I think I read the trilogy, uh, you know, two or three times. Yeah. And that was his clarion call. It's, it's the exhaustive and exclusive lordship over all creation. And even he was a pre-mill. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite theologians. I mean, my goodness, if you can't find something from John Gill, the Baptist, then you're not looking in the right place. He was pre-mill. Both of these guys were de facto, let's obey God's law. Let's call the civil magistrate to repentance. Let's work for the next generation. So I applaud him, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to gainsay that. But to your, to your question, uh, Courtney, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, well, just the world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. Let's rescue him from, because any day now, any second. Yeah. By the way, when I was in high school, I was experimenting with a certain uh, organic substance. Oh, really? What come, was it? Well, <laughs> it wasn't made in a lab in Wuhan, China. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> That's good because that stuff will kill you. That'll kill you. <laughs> I would come home from school and there would be nobody home. And guess what thought hit my mind? <gasps> I missed the rapture. Yep. Darn it. Now I'm going to have my head cut off. That's so you know, funny because... Because I was a Christian, I, I knew it was true, but I was, you know, flirting around with disaster. But Sure. Well, we've been married, uh, uh, I would say, a long, longish time. And there were, most of the time we've been married, actually, we were not post-mill. And I couldn't find her sometimes in the house or she'd be gone. And I'd go, oh, shoot. <laughs> of I missed it. I of missed course, the it's rapture, the guy. You know, and it, I'm like repenting of my sin. Am I in the tribulation right now? What's going on? Oh, there she is. I'm good. Now, I, I have not had to have that type of thought in a long, in a, in a little while. It's great. I'm not worried about it anymore. So how, how long have you been married? 14 years almost. 14? Up on 14. Guess yep. what? Uh, tomorrow's June, June 1st. June 11th is 40 years for Heidi wow. and I. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. We still like each other too. We still like that's, each other. That's the that's the good part. That's great. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, hey Tim, let's talk a little bit about your music. You have two albums, Battle Hymns for Weary Souls and O Come Emmanuel, and you've recently got a released single called Hail to Jesus. Um Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Talk to us about that. Um, we've been listening to particularly the Battle Hymns for Weary Souls now for a oh, couple yeah. of years. Love that album. Great well, good. album. And particularly your other single, Why Do the Heathen Nations Vainly Rage? If you could talk a little <laughs> bit about that, because okay. that's just a great rock song. So awesome. let, let's start with that. The, the first CRC Presbytery that my friend John Murgy and I attended was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, the late Greg Strawbridge was the host, the host pastor. Yep. You know, I count him as a friend and uh, counted. Yeah. And they're singing this song. And I turned to John. I said, dude, this would be a righteous metal hit. You hear this? Can you hear it? And he's like, I don't even know it yet. You know, <laughs> but I, I thought I was back in my mind. And then when we, uh, when we were, you know, uh, getting our hymnody all together at our church, uh, that was one of the first ones. I guess gotta listen, to, gotta learn that song. Um, I worked, I produced a record 
by it was a it was a couple of guys in uh, I want to say San not San Clemente it's up north not Sacramento either anyway uh, they had a, a record of hymns that they had recorded and they needed somebody to mix it who knew what they were doing. So I mixed that. They had some great renditions. Oh, Lord, my God, most earnestly, I seek your holy faith. That was awesome. They had a version of Psalm 2. So it was it was before the 2020 election. I thought, okay, let's, let's just rock it out. Let's have no holds barred and do it as written, you know, with all the uh, weird uh, metrical breaks that don't quite add up to 4-4, you know, in the sure. verses and stuff. So that was fun. Um, have you guys ever heard of the band Love War? I have not. So, have you? so you need to look up Love War. That's me as well. And oh, cool. that was that was uh, mid '90s. Late '90s is the Channel Surfers. So you can <laughs> you can expand your whole Tim collection because I was the guitarist and uh, the the first Love War record was produced by the Elefante Brothers. John was the singer in Kansas after Steve Walsh left. And then uh, that turned into the Channel Surfers. I produced those two records. And then back in 2019, we released all the songs that we had demoed for the earlier band. So there's that stuff floating out there. That's more like metal and funk and all that. So the Christmas record I did started off at my 50th birthday. My son had a big party planned. And it was going to be great, all our friends. And I had just gotten the idea that I wanted to do Oh Holy Night kind of like heavy, like me. Like I, I like hard rock and metal and, you know. <laughs> so I thought, let's do that. And I had it all worked up. I had mixed it. I would mastered it in the studio. And then here comes the party. So it was great. All these people are gathered around and uh, – we probably had all the windows open. It's a, it's December 1st, uh, kerosene heater, wood stove, nine cigars simultaneously in the room, maybe more. And I was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to play this. So I, I got everybody I said, listen, in the old days, we would sit around and listen to a whole record. I'm not going to make you do that, but I have this song. So I, I put on a little, my little MP3 player wasn't even a real iPod. It was just one of those players into the stereo here it comes on the big swell, bang, and I'm telling you, the the room was like they went from grinning, like looking up in the air, to smiling, to laughing, going, "Oh my gosh, this is so over the top." <laughs> that was okay. So I thought, all right, this is going to be an annual thing. I'll do a Christmas song per year. So by the time 2016 rolled around, I was like, "Look, I got enough for a record. Let's try to put this together." And uh, that's where that came from. Battle Hymns was 2020. Why not? Wow. You know? Yeah. Started off, uh, what wondrous love, always love, anything from the Southern Harmony, Walker's, uh, or Sacred Heart music, any of that. Sure. It's, it's kind of like Scottish, but it's hillbilly. You know, mm -hmm. that's the <laughs> American roots music. Yeah. And I had done a podcast bump for that, uh, for, for a friend of mine that was part of that song. And I thought, let's, let's just flesh that out. Let's do the whole thing. And I accidentally put an extra verse. That's why there's two guitar solos, one slide. Where's my slide? Here's my slide. <laughs> and then the second one is more of a straight blues solo. Yeah. 
You guys are going to like this. Um, yesterday and today, I began work on Battle Hymns 2. All right. Awesome. I've got cool. four songs tracked out. Awesome. And, of course, one of them, Hail to, it's going to be called Battle Hymns for Weary Souls 2, Hail to Jesus. Ah, but nice. that's going to match up for our with our uh, conference that's coming up October 21st here in Indiana, Jesus in Politics for Hail to Jesus. Sweet. So we're going to try to tie it all together, have some T-shirts made and all that. And uh, John Harris is coming. Uh, William Wolf is uh, is coming. John Moody, Joe Spurgeon, myself who's speaking. So anyway, I've got a list of songs. I am doing The Son of God Goes Forth to War. But that's going to be the Lead On, O King Eternal bonus track, right? A little heavier, a little more metal. The rest of them are, I'm going to do more like that swampy blues flavor to them. Sure. Um, are you familiar with the uh, with the acapella Sacred Harp stuff? Like Sacred uh, Harp? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we took one of those songs, I Know That My Redeemer Lives. Okay, yep. And it's all, it's all stompy and big and rocky cool. I'm, I'm really happy with that one that's gonna that's gonna open up the record and uh, we'll have everybody in church singing on it too that's 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 half the fun right there is when you got all the music done because i i do this for a living still uh you know flesh out singer songwriters and help them achieve their vision so i do it for myself but then when we go down to the church, I lead the song with a with a guitar and the, the music's in my headphones. Then you bring those double tracked of the so you, you sing each song twice. So you double up the, the amount of voices, you know, sure. to take. And then when you put you put those and drop them and put them where they're supposed to be in the mix, yeah. whole thing just goes goes from here to here. It's like, oh that's kind so of that cool. whole Phil Spector Great Wall of Sound thing you got. Yeah. 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 Nice. With, without the psychosis. Without the psychosis. <laughs> that's right. Do you have any plans to do more psalms? <laughs> yes. Um that's I, I, I only have a million irons in the fire. That's a little more that's a little more difficult. You can ask any songwriter because you're looking at the verses See, Hail to Jesus came from me telling the congregation, I just can't find a good version of Psalm 110, and I love it so much. Days later, in my inbox, Brianna Smith had written versified lyrics for Psalm 110. I mean, they, they just showed up. I was like, okay, these are really good. I came up with the chorus, but all the verses are pure Brianna Smith. Yeah. Just had uh, six baby, by the way. Little Nathan, who's the hugest baby I've ever seen. Just a gorgeous kid. But anyway, so uh, when when we finally got that put together, that was one of those songs where I looked at the lyrics and I'm I'm reading them and I'm like, I know what this is gonna be. This is gonna be six eight and it needs a chorus. So she just gave me uh, a couple months ago Psalm nineteen. That's gonna be our next one. Um so we'll see how that arrangement works. But, you know, when you're when you're writing, you're basically starting from scratch. I don't even I don't even usually pick up an instrument. I just kind of get it all in my head. Then I'll pick the guitar up and I'll start goofing around and uh, hopefully come up with something. So yeah. Psalm 19 is next. Maybe that'll go on Battle Hymns, too. We'll see. That's cool. very, very exciting. 
Uh, just going back to the podcast real quick, and we can wrap up with this. Sure. You've done a lot of interviews. Who else is potentially on your wish list to interview? Anyone out there still? You've had some big names. The the last communique I had with the guys who are kind of in charge of it said, hey, we need to have Tim interview John Cooper. Oh, yeah. Because we're both rock guys. Here's the oh, thing. Yeah. You guys would have fun. Well, sure. I <laughs> So I'm I'm older. And I decided that I wasn't going to stay on the road. One of the one of the big reasons was a uh, my my son was getting to where he's like eight and nine. I don't need a truck driver schedule and raise to raise a family. That's just not going to happen. But the other thing was at the time I was teaching a college age uh, class at the church we were a part of, Christ Covenant Church in Winona Lake, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, it just seems a lot more strategic for the use of my time and for the glory of God and his kingdom to just teach rather than, you know, get in a plane, fly out to, you know, El Paso, do a gig, preach the gospel, and go home. I was thinking more in terms of church ministry. However, that being said, I got to give props to, to John Cooper. He is flying the flag and he's doing it well. And he's taking his family with him and he's vocally, strong for the gospel. I can't tell you how many people, there were my friends back in the mid nineties, late nineties, Christian music, you know, cause we had, we had some uh, hits as it were, we were touring all over the place. You got to meet all kinds of people. Well, you can imagine, you know, want to be, they want to be popular. There are quite, a, there are a few guys though, that, that really stuck it out. I've, I've got one, two, three, friends of mine that are that are pastors yeah and then there's john cooper i mean he's still he he's still a a, an an act that can draw a crowd in any situation and from what i understand they got their tour bus pretty much decked out so the whole family can go with him and his wife's involved so and i also think he's post mill so that that should be a good (laughs) interview i think so I remember when their first record came out. I I'll be honest. I kind of I kind of blew them off. You know, it's like sure. this poppy Christiany stuff, and eh, eh, you yeah. know, life's too short. Well, now <laughs> it's like whoa, yeah, they're they're pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, they are very heavy. Yeah, yeah and like and like you said, it is very. Uh, it's sad to see a mass capitulation, particularly from Christian artists in the last decade, even before that, but particularly in the last five to 10 years that we've seen that they still fill our airwaves, but man, they have really decidedly gone a different route than the biblical framework of the Bible. You know, eschatology aside, doesn't matter. Just, yeah, they've, they've left the, they've left the grounds of. How how about the most elementary exclusivity of Christ for salvation? I mean, uh, I grew up listening to guys like DC Talk and some of those guys have yeah. embraced not I don't know if all of them, but Universal Jesus and things yeah. of that. Our favorite is probably a guy even before your time. I don't know if you grew up or listened to Keith Green, but uh <laughs> Keith is somebody yeah. that we we really love still to this day. His yeah. music and even though he's been gone since eighty two, yeah. it's good, powerful, strong lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, and he was, you know, there, there were some some areas where I'm sure if we were in the same room, we'd be like, no, no, no. Finney was a heretic. <laughs> right. But, right. Yeah, exactly. But you're right. And yeah. and again, I 
I think I think people can just wear a little humility now and again. I mean, let's face it, Keith Green was a great musician. Yeah. He was great. Did you know that when they first started recording him, they did the standard thing, well, let's lay the tracks down and we'll get the vocals later. Yeah. And they're like, it ain't happening. He's yeah. got to be playing and singing at the same time. Rock and roll. Oh, yeah. Totally. Good musician. Yeah. Totally. Yep, absolutely. So where can the people find the podcast and where can they find your music? So the Eschatology Matters podcast is on YouTube. Just type in Eschatology Matters. All of my stuff is on every platform, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon. Um, just look up Tim Bushong, Tim Bushong Music. And then check out the channel surfers. Yeah. And we'll Love War. There's two there's two records by Love War. The second one was recorded all here, and it was it was kind of a 25-year anniversary for the first record's release. And it was so funny. People were like, well, why'd you wait so long? Uh, a little thing called life. We didn't keep doing Love War, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's you funny. know what? The, the last official gig Love War did was in front of 55,000 people in a big soccer stadium in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Wow. After that, me and those two other guys got a lead singer named Jason Brown. And we said, we're going to do something completely different. We're going to do funky, reggae, uh, everything, and throw it all together, including metal. And we did that for about three years. So, sure. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, hey, if you're cool with it, we'd love to have Oh God of Earth and Altar play out here at the end. Oh, yeah. Unless there's a copyright issue or something like that, we totally don't have to. But uh, I, I don't um, think G.K. Chesterton is going to be upset at losing. I don't nickel. think Chesterton will mind too much. <laughs> no, it's such a good song. Thank you. Love it, too. Yep. Well, Tim, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Hey, man. What a fun couple. Bye.
and priest and thrall Bind all our lives together Smite us and save us all In our end exaltation A flame with faith and free Lift up a living nation A single sword Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.